Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the true story of a wealthy restaurateur, his captivating wife, and her insatiable need for attention. She has a void that can really only be fulfilled by someone who makes her feel desirable, beautiful, and worthwhile. It's a story of unbridled lust. He would brag about this sexual stamina and how much he thrilled her. Betrayal. And once he senses that Cindy is pulling away from him, he becomes quite obsessive. And ruthless murder. A motorcyclist with a dark helmet shot a driver of an SUV in the head, then just takes off. Beware. Extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. It's 1991 in Akron, Ohio. Akron is one of those Midwestern cities that thrived probably in the 30s or 40s. It was known as the rubber capital of America. And as time went on, it began to struggle a bit, like Detroit. The one constant was the Tangier. The landmark restaurant is one of the hottest joints in town. And for as long as anyone can remember, the manager has been a local businessman named Ed. Ed George was the face of Tangier. His family had owned it forever. And if you were from Akron or you spent any time in Akron, you'd been to the Tangier. The restaurant's success hasn't come easy. Ed puts in long hours, often working seven nights a week. Ed's life was the Tangier. Ed was a basically workaholic. He spent 12 to 14 hours a day at the restaurant. At 
Unfortunately, Ed's commitment to the restaurant doesn't leave much time for his stunning wife, a beauty queen and mother of his children named Cynthia. Cynthia George is a very attractive woman. She's thin. She's a very charismatic woman. And she needed to be where the glamour was. In fact, for the vivacious blonde, better known by her nickname, Cindy, that often meant spending time at the restaurant. When you go into the Tangier and you see Cindy, you're kind of dazzled, and it goes along with the general motif of the place. Ed's obsessive work habits are taking their toll on the couple's marriage, leaving Cindy craving attention. It's an extremely stressful business. At the end of the day, as happens in many marriages like this, the spouse is the one who's most often overlooked. When Cindy felt overlooked, she looked elsewhere. And she doesn't have to look very far. One night when Cindy is at the Tangier, she catches the eye of one of the diners, a charismatic entrepreneur named Jeff Zack. Jeff Zack could be a very charming guy. He's six foot four, has good stories to tell. That night, Jeff is out for dinner with his wife, Bonnie. But despite that, he can't stop staring at the beautiful hostess. Jeff Zack is enraptured as most men were when they would see Cindy George. Bonnie notices her husband's wandering eye, but for her, it's nothing new. Jeff's wife is used to him being a flirt. To some extent, it seemed like that was part of their marriage that she accepted. They did have a child together, and Bonnie sacrificed and just stayed with Jeff, knowing it was better for their child. And writing it off as harmless attraction, the tolerant spouse even starts to tease her other half. She says, she's out of your league. Woman like that won't even give you a second glance. He's like, watch me. He walks over to Cindy, compliments her, gets her to laugh, and he's being very magnanimous. And perhaps in a bid to provoke his wife, Jeff makes a bold move. How about you uh, come back to the table? Have a drink with us? Sure. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Cindy, this is my wife, Bonnie. Hi. Nice yeah, to Bonnie. meet you. It's a potentially awkward dynamic. But Cindy is warm and friendly to Jeff's wife, Bonnie. And soon, all three are chatting like they've known each other for years. The trio's laughter draws the attention of Cindy's husband, Ed. No, oh, Ed, hi, honey. How are you doing? Perfect. Um... But Jeff isn't at all flustered to meet the spouse of the woman he's just been flirting with. Ed George comes by, he shakes Ed's hand, and he compliments Ed on his beautiful wife. This is a lovely restaurant. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, lovely wife. Ah, well. If Cindy thinks Jeff's compliment might make her husband jealous, she's wrong. And Ed apparently says, if you can afford her, you can have her. Ed's flippant reply is like a slap to Cindy's face. Cindy's feelings are hurt, and Jeff, playing the, uh, the savior of sorts, whispers in her ear, you can do better. And that's basically how their friendship started. Even with both their spouses present, Jeff doesn't make much effort to hide his intense attraction to Cindy. When the couples part, they promise to meet again. 
over the next few months, the Zacks become friends with Ed and Cindy. Jeff clearly has romantic designs on Cindy, but he knows how to be suave. So he goes about the courtship by befriending the entire family. After winning Ed's trust, Jeff finds ways to make himself useful in their household. Ed George is working all the time, so Cindy needs a guy with two strong arms to come over the house, and Jeff is happy to play that role. He comes over, he plays handyman over there. Cindy likes Jeff's interest, and the two of them become closer. He was just very charming, and he was willing to give her a lot of attention. And for a woman whose husband is never home, that's something that's very appealing. She has a void that can really only be fulfilled by someone who makes her feel desirable, beautiful, and worthwhile. And this provides the perfect void for Jeff Zack to step into because he's ready to make Cindy feel very, very special. After months of charming the blonde beauty, it's apparent that Jeff has more than friendship on his mind. Finally, one day, when the pair finds themselves alone, Jeff makes his move, and Cindy gives in to his affections. Cindy George is really marked by a deep insecurity. She needs affirmation at all times. Jeff Zack knows that's her Achilles heel, and he makes her feel beautiful, desirable, and attractive every time he's around her. And that first sexual encounter is almost a watershed event. It did fulfill everything that Cindy had been missing in her life. That intense encounter becomes addictive for both of them. Ed would leave for work, Jeff would show up, Jeff would go up to Cindy's suite in the home, and they would be there for hours. It seemed like Jeff Zack had the run of the George house when Ed wasn't home. Jeff is completely enthralled by the radiant bombshell, finding any opportunity to see her. He's even bold enough to show up at the Tangier when Cindy's there with her husband, Ed. You could say that the love affair was taking place right under Ed George's nose. He had a bored wife wanted excitement and fulfillment. And, you know, Jeff uh, Zach seemed to be around a lot to uh, satisfy those needs. There was something exciting about the idea that they were having this affair almost in plain sight of their spouses and everyone who knew them. Ed seems too busy running his business to notice. But could Cindy's hardworking spouse know more than he's letting on? Jeff and Cindy continue their affair for the next seven years. But by 1998, their brazen relationship has not gone unnoticed. Jeff's wife, Bonnie, is all too aware that her husband is often away from home. Jeff Zack had, had been a womanizer, and that was kind of part of their marriage. But after years of tolerating his flirtatious ways, Bonnie is about to reach her breaking point. One day, Bonnie Zack is at home, and she overhears Jeff on the phone. And Jeff says to Cindy something to the effect of, I can't get enough of being inside you. And Bonnie comes into the room and she's like, what's going on over here? Bonnie knows that Jeff has been spending a lot of time with Cindy. And she guesses correctly that it was her on the phone. Once Bonnie hears that phone call, 
she begins to suspect that the relationship between her husband and Cindy George is more than just platonic. Bonnie confronted him about that, and uh, he denied that it was Cindy, and he said there was nothing going on. Bonnie was just making a big deal out of nothing. Although Bonnie knows her husband's a flirt, she's unaware of the full extent of his betrayal. She was devastated. I mean, she was shocked that she was hearing this. This is the last thing she wanted to believe was going on. Bonnie is now convinced her husband is cheating on her with Cindy. But she needs proof. Bonnie is starting to really monitor Jeff. I guess she's trying to confirm her suspicions that he's having an affair with Cindy George. Bonnie hears Jeff on the phone with Cindy, and they're setting up a meeting at a hotel. She doesn't let Jeff know that she's heard the conversation. Bonnie jumps at the chance to catch her husband red-handed. She goes to the hotel ahead of them and waits. She watches from afar as her husband arrives with his married mistress. It confirms years of nagging suspicions Bonnie's harbored about her cheating husband. But how far will the scorned spouse go to put an end to her husband's philandering ways? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Code ACAST. 
Cindy and Jeff are deeply involved in a passionate affair they've kept hidden from Cindy's workaholic husband, Ed. Whether or not Ed knew anything, we're not sure. And he was absorbed with work at the restaurant. But Jeff's wife, Bonnie, has long suspected her husband may be cheating on her. And now she has the damning proof. Bonnie shows up at the hotel. She sees her husband and Cindy George. She confronts them and asks them what's going on. Cindy and Jeff freeze, caught red-handed. But if Bonnie thinks her actions might shame Jeff into a reconciliation, she's way off base. They don't say anything. She's just dumbfounded and turns around and walks. And things only get worse. To Bonnie's great distress, Jeff doesn't follow her. They didn't even try to stop her. She just left and went home, and Jeff was out that night. Didn't return till morning. But the confrontation rattles Cindy, who seems to have a very different idea of their illicit relationship than Jeff does. She likes the way things are. She likes having her husband and her social stature, her home, a carefree life, and a lover on the side. She doesn't really need or want anything. The problem is, Jeff does. And the more she distances him, the more he tries to grab onto her and hold what they've enjoyed for so many years. By pulling away from Jeff, Cindy unleashes an unexpected fury in her spurned lover. Jeff really tries to control her. He even handed her a list of demands one of which was that she had to page him every four hours. Another one forbade her to leave the house unless she was in the company of her husband and children. But it doesn't have the effect Jeff wants. It only ends up pushing Cindy further away. Jeff begins to become a bit of a monster. He couldn't stand the thought of being rejected. And once he senses that Cindy is pulling away from him, he becomes quite obsessive. And he's really bothering her. He calls the house and he hangs up. Jeff's desperate behavior is the final straw, and Cindy decides to take a stand. And in 1999, eight years after first meeting Jeff at the Tangier, she calls him to say, she won't be pushed around anymore. Bonnie hears Jeff and Cindy arguing over the telephone, and it's a really violent argument. There's a lot of shouting, a lot of cursing. This is over between us, all right? I don't want to see you anymore. Cindy, come on, you can't do this. I'm done. When Jeff gets off the phone, uh, Bonnie asks him, what's it about? And, and Jeff basically says, well, me and Cindy aren't going to be seeing each other anymore. It's over between us. But is Jeff really prepared to let Cindy go? By the spring of 2000, it seems Cindy is trying to put her obsessive relationship with Jeff behind her. But now, with a household of seven kids and a workaholic husband, she still yearns to escape the doldrum of her family life. So she starts looking elsewhere. She would go out a lot. Uh, she wasn't home uh, a lot of the time. The stunning blonde craves attention. And before long, she finds it in the form of a younger man, a former truck driver named John Zafino. Cindy uh, met John Zafino uh, while she was at a bar with some friends. 
As she was leaving, uh, Fino told her, you know, it's dangerous out there. You shouldn't be going out there alone. John Zafino was a guy that you couldn't imagine Cindy George going out with. She was prim and proper and elegant. And John Zafino was a rough, rugged, seemingly macho kind of guy. He looked at himself as a protector for people, whether they wanted it or not. John is clearly making a move and Cindy can see straight through it. I can take care of myself. I'm a big girl. She kind of rebuffs him. I'm married, I have seven kids, and he jokes, what are you, Catholic or are you Amish? Cindy finds that to be a pretty funny line, and he hands her his business card, and he goes, I'm just concerned about your safety. Please call me when you get home. John's direct approach strikes a deep chord in Cindy, a short while later, she does something she hadn't planned in the bar and gives him a call. John Zafino always led with this tough guy character. Very protective, very, very, I'm looking out for your best interests. I'm trustworthy. You can depend on me. And this was very appealing to Cindy. Cindy signs off by agreeing to see John again. A few days later, with Ed at the restaurant, she leaves the children in the nanny's care and sneaks out to meet the new man who seems so worried about her welfare. She would go to John's apartment sometimes during the day. She would sometimes spend nights there. Cindy doesn't waste any time, showing him just how grateful she is for his concern. This is a whole new chapter in Cindy's life. The bad boy part of John Zafino really turns her on. She is more sexually experimental. She's willing to try new things. There is something about him that really kind of uncorks a dark side of her or makes it blossom. She takes charge in the bedroom, and John is soon completely under the spell of his glamorous older lover. He would brag about their sexual exploits and uh, how Cindy was kinky. He would like to talk about his sexual stamina and, and how much he thrilled her. Cindy is excited by her new paramour, but this steamy fling is only just warming up. Cindy and John start a secret relationship, but unlike her previous affair, this time around, it's the blonde beauty who's in the driver's seat. John, who was married when they first met, ends up getting a divorce. He ends up moving into a condo. Cindy was paying for the condo. She purchased cell phones for him. He was pretty much kept man. In many ways, Cindy was John's sugar daddy, but on the female side. He even told one of his friends that uh, Cindy wouldn't allow him to get a job because she wanted him to be ready whenever she needed him. She will not let men possess her or be obsessive about her anymore. She's going to hold the power. And with John Zafino, she does this by financially supporting him. By January of 2001, Cindy seems to have her life set up just the way she likes it. John is available whenever she wants him. But she's about to get a disturbing wake-up call. The person on the other end of the line is the last person she wants to talk to. What? 
Jeff. Hey, don't hang up. Jeff Sack does not want to let go of Cindy. So obviously he's obsessed with her. He calls him obsessively. But at that point, she was in the relationship with John Zafino and wanted to extricate herself from whatever she was doing with Jeff Sack. Before Cindy can hang up, Jeff makes violent threats. Hey, you can't mess with me like this. I'm going to come over there. Come on. You know I will. Not only does she feel desperate, she feels endangered. Sensing the potential danger of the situation, she tells her husband, Ed, that she's been receiving harassing phone calls. Hoping to find a solution, Ed contacts the authorities. The police advise Ed, look, you need to file a report. They tell Ed exactly what, what he needs to do if the police are going to be involved. Ed tells them that he's going to think about it. With his wife's safety at risk, why would Ed hesitate to get help from the police? Is he protecting their privacy? Or could Cindy's spouse know more about her sexual adventures than he's letting on? By 2001, Cindy has been involved in two passionate affairs that her husband, a successful restaurateur, seems to know nothing about. But now, her possessive ex-lover, Jeff, is calling her incessantly, threatening to bring the whole house of cards tumbling down. Despite the clear advice of the police, Ed decides to safeguard his high profile in Akron and keep the matter private. But Ed George never bothered to make a police report, and so was never investigated. But does he really intend to let the matter lie? Without the involvement of the police, the calls continue. So by May 2001, Cindy decides to take matters into her own hands. Cindy changes her phone number. And the ruse seems to work. Jeff never contacted her. And after a few days, with Jeff seemingly out of the picture and Ed's focus back on the restaurant, Cindy is free to turn her attention once again to her kept lover, John. The neighbors would see Cindy go to John's apartment, sometimes during the day, she would sometimes spend nights there. She confides in John about her ex-lover who is stalking her and the harrowing months she's had to endure. He's the, in his mind, the knight in shining armor. He's going to come in. He's going to make everything fine for her. He probably saw it not just something that she expected, but something that he owed her, something that he wanted to do to prove to Cindy that he loved her. Cindy was very attracted to the protector, that kind of tough guy thing that John Zafino exuded. She liked that. It was something that she never got from Jeff or Ed. Meanwhile, Ed still seems oblivious to what his wife is doing right under his nose. Ed is much older than Cindy, and maybe he just accepted that what Cindy was doing was what Cindy was going to do. But I think he loved his family so much that he said, no, I'm not going to look into this even though it looks slightly suspicious. And he wanted to keep the life that he had. But their world is about to be shattered forever by a cold-blooded act of shocking violence. 
On June 16, 2001, the police receive a panicked 911 call. Where is the victim? He is in his car at the gas station. A motorcycle drove up and shot him. He's got a gunshot wound to his face. He's bleeding profusely. Is he conscious? He barely. Immediate assistance. The police get this 911 call that a motorcyclist with a dark helmet pulled up by the gas pumps in one of those big box stores and shot a driver of an SUV in the head, then, then just takes off, leaves him there. The man in the SUV is still alive, so dispatchers immediately scramble a response unit to the scene, while witnesses frantically attempt to save his life. They try to revive him, uh, but unfortunately, uh, the victim with the gunshot uh, arrives at the hospital and he's deceased. With the victim gone, detectives arrive to pick through what is now officially a homicide investigation. Patrol cars have cordoned off the area. We're trying to identify uh, the victim. The police are securing the crime scene, and, you know, they see that the windows have been shot out. Detectives find a wallet in the car. The victim is a 44-year-old male. His name is Jeff Zack. it seems like it was a targeted hit. Interviews with witnesses reveal that the victim was an unpopular regular at this particular store. When police begin asking about Jeff Zack, the manager goes, oh yeah, I know Jeff Zack. He's not allowed in here anymore. He apparently had propositioned, uh, or at least had gotten a phone number from a 17-year-old clerk who was extremely attractive and started calling her, asking her for dates, even asking her for sex. Police first suspect this was a revenge homicide by an angry parent. Maybe this father, whose daughter was being harassed, killed Jeff Zack? We learned from talking to people, Jeff had made quite a few enemies. The investigation is only a few hours old, and already the cops have a viable suspect. But as they dig deeper, new information comes to light and it's set to expose two scandalous love triangles with a much bigger cast of players, all with a motive to kill. Former beauty queen Cindy has been involved in a hot and steamy fling with a flirtatious businessman named Jeff Zack. But on June 16th, 2001, he's been found dead, shot in broad daylight by an unknown assassin on a motorcycle. Investigators continue to question the witnesses, but they're having a tough time identifying the gunman who was wearing a full face helmet. And the whole incident probably takes a couple of seconds at most. What people say is the motorcycle appears to be, quote, a crotch rocket, a ninja bike. People don't know if it's an African-American or a white person on the motorcycle. And the store's cameras aren't much help either. There were uh, cameras located by the gas pumps, uh, four of them. Out of the four, one camera did not work very well. 
And of course, that was the camera that was pointing right down at the scene of the shooting. But the cops do find one critical piece of evidence. One detective basically went up to where the shooter would have stood and pointed his hand as if he was pulling the trigger and then followed that line. And he looked down, and sure enough, there was a shell casing. Next, police turn their focus to Jeff's grieving widow, Bonnie, to see if she knows anything about her husband's shooting. Everybody knows that the first suspect is always the spouse of the victim. And so police go and they visit uh, Jeff's ex-wife. And uh, she's extremely forthcoming. Bonnie tells cops she was out picking up her son at the time of the murder, giving her a rock-solid alibi. But she does provide some very sensitive information about her husband. Bonnie is visibly upset by the murder. However, she tells police that he has been unfaithful to her. She talks about the fact that he had threatened to leave her and that the marriage was an extremely rocky one. The distraught widow goes on to say that the other woman was even a one-time family friend named Cindy. And she gives the officer a photo of Cindy and her family. We find out that not only is Jeff Zeck cheating on his wife, but he's cheating on his wife with a married woman. And that's just a recipe for disaster. So we're very interested in what had happened and who knew what. Bonnie tells Detective Cindy ended the affair. And after that, things quickly spiraled downhill for Jeff. She says, you know, a couple of days ago, we got this strange message. And Jeff's the guy who fought with a lot of people. But this seemed to unnerve him. And it's a message with a male voice, threatening message, and demanding that Jeff call back. Bonnie saved the recording. Although she didn't know for certain who the caller was, she knew Jeff lived in fear of one man, Cindy's husband, Ed. He had told them if anything ever did happen to him, to let people know that Ed George had something to do with it. The next day, June 17th, 2001, police pay the couple a visit. We sent some detectives out to talk to Cindy and Ed. Ed's not there, but Cindy is. They start to ask her about Jeff. She says, well, she knows Jeff, but she doesn't know him that well. They asked her directly, was you and Jeff, were you ever having an affair? And she says, no, no, we, we were just friends. After failing to find it at the house, detectives try a different approach. The police talk to Ed, and they ask him to come down to the police station, to which he says, yeah, he'll be down there. But instead of coming down to the station himself, he sends his attorney, and his attorney uh, tells the police that uh, Ed won't be talking, nor will his wife, Cindy. It's an immediate red flag for investigators. Whenever anybody clams up and refuses to talk to police, it just really puts them at the top of the list as a suspect. With Cindy claiming the relationship with Jeff had ended, the ad refusing to comment, police turned their attention back to Bonnie. Earlier that day, when she revealed she knew about the affair, she made one other dramatic accusation. Bonnie had told us that Jeff had said 
that uh, he had fathered one of Cindy's children. Up to that point, we haven't given it much credence, but from looking at the photo, it seemed like maybe there is something there. The court gives police permission to run a DNA test on Cindy's seventh child. They send the DNA swab off to the lab. Three weeks later, the results come back, and as uh, detectives suspected, the youngest girl is indeed Jeff's ex-biological daughter. When that becomes public, everything explodes. Once police know the true parentage of the George's youngest daughter, they suspected even more so because here not only has this man been harassing the George family with his phone calls and his erratic behavior, he has actually sired a child, possibly under Ed George's roof. But could Ed really be the motorbike hitman that police are searching for? Or is there more to be revealed in this toxic web of passion, jealousy, and murder? Cindy is at the center of a love triangle gone bad. Her ex-lover Jeff is dead. And now her husband Ed is a prime suspect in his murder. Police have a strong suspicion Ed is their man. But by early 2002, their case against him is going nowhere. I mean, we really don't have any hard, solid evidence against the Georges. We just have a motive you can't arrest somebody based on motive. Over the next year, with no strong leads to follow, the investigation into Jeff's murder slowly winds down. Nobody's working on it. But then we get a, uh, a call from a narcotics detective who says that he has a source and might know something about the Jeff's ex slang. An informant had called in and said that his girlfriend's ex-husband had committed the murder. He reveals the identity of the man he's accusing. It's a name police have never heard before in connection with a crime. That man's name is John Zafino. With the help of Zafino's ex-wife, investigators quickly determine that it is in fact his voice on the threatening phone message that Bonnie had saved on her answering machine. From that point on, the investigation races forward. As police do further investigation, they find out that one of John Zafino's co-workers had sold him two guns, one a Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum, and that's a gun that's capable of firing the bullet that killed Jeff Zack. They discover that about a month before the murder, he bought this ninja motorcycle and seemed to dispose of it two days after the murder. The evidence is starting to pile up, but we're still not really sure what the motive would be. It doesn't take long for them to find out the link between the two men. His neighbors say that, yes, he's been talking about a woman that he's dating. She's blonde, she's attractive. She comes by the house. Her name is Cindy. Now they know the connection. It's Cindy George. Both men were romantically involved with the same woman. 
it gives John a clear reason to want Jeff dead. One of the friends tells us that John has been mentioning that he's having problems with some guy who's harassing his girlfriend. John tells this guy he's going to have to do something about it. On September 25th, 2002, John Zafino is arrested and charged with Jeff Zack's murder. So when John Zafino's arrested, he denies everything. He admits that he knows Cindy George, but he denies that they're having any sort of a relationship. With John now in the police hot seat, Ed is crossed off the suspect list for good. There was definitely not enough evidence there to arrest Ed George. We have no connection between Ed and John Zafino. On February 26th, 2003, prosecutors go to trial armed with a strong case against John Zafino. In a packed courtroom, officials recount what they think happened that fateful afternoon. What we believe is John Zafino sat there in the parking lot watching as he saw Jeff Zack come in, walked over toward Jeff Zack, pulled up the gun and fired, shooting him once in the head. And the jury quickly comes to a unanimous decision. It took the jury four hours to reach a verdict, and that verdict was guilty. But the most interesting discussion centers around the one person who is not on trial, Cindy. The jurors mentioned that it really only took them an hour to find John guilty. They spent the next three hours trying to figure out why Cindy George hadn't been arrested. They felt strongly that uh, she was also guilty. And they're not alone. The police believe she's the key to this complicated murder mystery. Cindy George had a problem. Jeff Zack had fathered a child, was going to be in her life forever. Jeff Zack was a problem. John Zafino was the solution for Cindy George. After Zafino's sentencing, police go back to the drawing board and turn up some new leads on Cindy. Police discover that the day that John Zafino purchased his motorcycle, Cindy George withdrew $5,300 from the bank, roughly the cost of the motorcycle. She gave him money, he bought a motorcycle with it. I don't think that was in dispute. We were able to show that right before John went and shot Jeff, he was on the phone with Cindy George. We were also able to see that 20 minutes after the shooting, right with the time when John got back to his house after killing Jeff Zack, that he called Cindy George. It's the evidence the prosecution needs. And on November 28, 2005, Cindy finally gets her day in court. A judge initially finds her guilty, but almost a year later, that decision is overturned. The appeals court looks at the circumstances and they say, hey, they may have been on the cell phone together, but we don't know what they were saying. She bought him a motorcycle and a gun. That doesn't mean anything. We have no concrete evidence that Cindy George did this. Therefore, the verdict is reversed. So Cynthia George comes out of prison. Ed, who had screamed in the courtroom, I support you, 
literally supports her now, embracing her, bringing her back into his home, forgiving her past indiscretions, and by all accounts, family life continues. To this day, there are still varied theories of what really happened in this tangled web of sex and murder, and the role played by the beauty queen at its center. Cindy George seems to be the kind of person that is good at using people. In my opinion, Cindy dated John just to get John to kill Zach. She used Zafino, and he was just too stupid to realize it. After all this time, John Zafino has never come out and pointed the finger blame at Cynthia George. It either means that Cynthia George is innocent, or it means that even in prison, she still has a hold on him that none of us will ever understand. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.